great. Oh, 20 years. Oh, man. Where is, you know, I was actually just reflecting on that you know, myself. I was actually talking with a leader in our denomination recently. It's like, oh, it's okay. Like, you've been at your church. It's coming up on like, what, four or five years? I'm like, no, 13. It's like, where does the time go? Right? It just seems like life just keeps hitting and goes faster and faster and faster and faster. And some of you, you know, who might be my age or a little bit older, you relate to me and you young people are like, what are you talking about? You crazy old man. Like, you have no clue, no concept of this, but it's coming. Don't worry. Um, I just want a, a couple of quick things before I dive into today's message from the book of Romans. Just two quick announcements. Uh, the first is next Sunday, uh, we're actually having a, a baptism service here at Greenbelt. Uh, as, um, as a church, we celebrate baptism through the mode which is called immersion um, not French immersion but immersion like and so that you know and but so what we do is we get this hot tub in I wish we had a baptistry where we could just like baptize people every week but we don't so that's okay and we rent this hot tub and we we set it to about 102 because I hate cold water and I know the Jordan River was cold and I get that but I just don't like cold water and so no it's actually about 97 so it's not that hot and um and and we just celebrate what god does through people's lives you know like every single person as paul said god is doing a journey with you in so many different ways whether you've been walking with jesus for just a few weeks or whether you've been following him and serving him for 70 years God is constantly in this transformation journey and this, this step of baptism is just this step where Jesus says, I want you to do this. And it's like, well, Jesus, if I don't do it, does that mean you don't love me? If I don't do it, does that mean I'm not, you know, a Christian? Like, what does this mean? And it's like, it's this step of obedience. And exactly like what Paul was just praying is that my life is not my own. My life belongs to you, Lord. And that five minutes of discomfort of sharing your story of what God has been doing in your life, you have no idea the power of your story. No idea how it encourages the church, how it builds up other Christians who've been feeling like, man, does my service matter? Does my giving matter? Does it even make a difference that I'm using my gifts and my talents in this church? And every time we hear one another's story, it just builds us up as a family to be reminded, wow, God is still working and is still changing lives. And so I'm really excited to, to celebrate that next week. If you have been thinking about baptism or you have questions about it, please send me an email. It is not too late. We can you know, make that happen for you next week as well. Just send me an email at kevin at greenbelt.church and we'll uh, talk about baptism that together this week. And then just the last thing that I want to say is I do want to give a, a shout out and a thank you to Chris and to Darren uh, today. Uh, we have so many things that happen in the back end of this church that you would have no clue even happens. And so they just kind of completely gutted and ripped out the old soundboard and put a new soundboard in. So they're up in the ceiling and they're running cables and taking cables. You have no idea how many wires are in this ceiling above us. It's like crazy up there. Okay. And so for them to come this week and just to help Paul that way i really appreciate you guys for helping out that way and uh, again and you wouldn't even notice you would have no clue this stuff happens because you can still hear me today just like you could last week right but these new things these technology things do wear down and break down on us so really appreciate everyone who works that way to serve the body that way 
So, so today, uh, if you're tracking along with us, we're, we're going through a series called The Power of the Gospel, and we're looking at the book of Romans. And as I have been saying for quite some time now, for several months, definitely almost coming up on a year, is what we believe about God changes how we live our lives. Your theology, that's what theology is. It's the study of God. It's the study of humanity's relationship with God. Our theology changes the methods. It changes how we live. And if our theology isn't changing how we live, we may have a problem with our theology. So just as we kind of kick today's topic off, just show of hands, how many of you love to receive bad news? Right? I've never met someone who's like, oh, I, you know, every time that phone rings, like, oh, I hope this is a train wreck coming right now. I really hope that my life gets completely just uprooted and distorted by this phone call. That would just make my day. Right? No one thinks this way, right? We as human beings, we develop um, natural ways to avoid and to brush aside bad news. I was actually just talking about this with my wife this morning, and I was reflecting on how last January, so January 2022, my family and I finally got to go on a vacation. Now, we hadn't been on vacation for like the two years before that, right? And we heard rumors that more travel lockdowns were coming. So it was like, we got to get out of the country real fast before they like shut us down again. So that's what we did. We took off, and we actually went to Disney World. And what was, we were really blessed that we actually had opportunity to go to Disney World for free. Like, it's like, that's the best. Like, Disney World is my happy place. Okay, it just really is. Like, when people say it's the happiest place on earth, no, it's a miserable experience. The lines and it's overpriced and everything about it is nuts. But I, I love Disney World. I'm a Disney guy. Okay, I love it. And I'm sitting there and I have the opportunity to go for free. But we're in Florida. And like everyone in Florida has COVID. I mean, like everybody. And so suddenly my family started getting sick while we're in Florida. And I'm like, but I'm going to Disney World tomorrow for free. And Cameron is like out. Like he's incapacitated. Like he's asleep in the pullout cut couch of our hotel room. He's sick. Right? Danielle's like, oh, I think I have like, I'm not feeling, and she's like not feeling good. And I'm like, no, you, you guys just have allergies. <laughs> it's like there's, there's, there's different plants in Florida. There's like those trees that got all the fungus from the mold that's growing. And like, you know, it looks like the swamp, you know, and, the, and it, Florida smells like a swamp. So there's just something in the water, you know, it, it's allergies. I'm going to Disney World tomorrow. And then everyone starts taking tests, and I'm like, no, it's positive, I have COVID. And it's like, no, it's the allergies. <sighs> I didn't go to Disney World, okay, that day. We stayed home in the hotel room. But, um, you see, there's this natural thing in us to not want to hear bad news. And when bad news tries to come our way, we block it. We ignore it. We make excuses about it to avoid hearing bad news. Today's message is bad news. If you're reading the book of Romans, the passages that we're going to read today 
are rough. They're hard to read publicly. They are hard to hear publicly. They're messy. They're divisive. They create tension and conflict. Today's message is all about bad news. But you cannot believe in God's good news without fully grasping the bad news. Just this past week, uh, no, it wasn't this week, it was last week, uh, Steve Jones, who is the president of our denomination, uh, sent this email out. He sends an email out every week to pastors and chaplains and missionaries uh, just on kind of how is the church doing, right? How is the Christian church doing in Canada and around the world? And he shared something in his uh, email uh, two weeks ago on a research that was done in 2022. Uh, it was a research called the state of theology and it was conducted by lifeway ministries and what they did is they reached out to evangelicals and now if you're not 100 percent sure what a definition of an evangelical is because i get it there's a lot of different branches of christianity an evangelical is someone who would agree to these three statements. Now, this is high-level stuff. I'm, gen- you know, this is kind of high-level. It's a generalization about kind of evangelical. But this is what they would say. The three big things about being an evangelical is the first is this: is that you affirm the centrality of being born again, which means that you need to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. That behavior doesn't transform us. And that's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees, is what he said to Nicodemus in John 3.16, that very famous passage, right? For God so loved the world that, he gave, that God sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. By that act, Jesus calls that being born again. So that's the first thing about being an evangelical. The second thing about being an evangelical is we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to humanity, And it is authoritative. I mean, it's not just a book that was made by publishers. It's not just something that was made by a committee in order to control the the peasants. That it is God's revealed word. That it's his truth. That humanity, so that we can come to know more about God through his word. And then the third thing of what it means to be an evangelical is that we believe that Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. And so the mission of the church, the mission of our lives is to be used by God to see lost people found. So those are the three high-level things. And so this research, again, state of theology How are we doing with our theology as evangelicals, people who would believe this? Now, this is an American research, so I'm going to assume none of you fall into this category because we're Canadian and we're amazing. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) My apologies to my American friends in the room and my American friends that are watching. I love you dearly. But here's here's what they were saying about American evangelicals in 2022. 65% of evangelicals surveyed agreed that every single human being is born innocent in the eyes of God. That people are good. People are good. And it's actually culture and society that makes us bad. 
So if we could just fix culture, if we could just fix government, if we could just fix society, then we will solve all of humanity's problems because people are good. Okay, that's 65%. No one here. 48%, nearly half of evangelicals surveyed, believe that God changes and that his truth claims evolve and adapt over time. That God changes his mind and how he works there and how he works there and how he works there and how he works there. It's all relative. 38% of evangelicals agreed that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. And 58%, over half of these evangelicals that were surveyed, agreed that God accepts the worship of all world religions, especially the three Abrahamic faith, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. Now think about this is a This is a survey about theology. What we believe about God will directly impact how we live out our faith. And so if the church, if 65% of the evangelical, again, what's an evangelical? Someone who believes that the word of God is authoritative and I have to listen to it and submit to it. Someone who believes I need to be born again to be saved of my sin and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. Right. And, and, and that um, and that my life, my mission, my goal, the whole purpose of why we do church is to seek and save the lost. If we believe everyone's good. We don't need Jesus. If we just believe that it's all about, you know, any whatever works for you, it's good. Why would you ever invite someone to church? Exactly. Thank you. There's no point. All of these things, our theology is crucial in how you and I live our lives. And so that's like some bad news in the state of the church. But here's what's really funny, (laughs) that I got this email right before having to prep this message. Because the text that we're going to read today is just more bad news. And if you're a visitor with us today, if this is your first time at Greenbelt, welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here with us today. My name's Kevin. I love you. Come back next week. Because next week there's lots of good news. But in order to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. Right? You got to. And so what we're going to read today, again, so with this survey, if this is how evangelicals are thinking about the world and thinking about theology, is it any surprise to us that the world is a mess? Right? If we as a church, we've abandoned our core beliefs of what it even means to be an evangelical. If we have been walking away from that, why should we be surprised that something else is filling the gap? Filling the space that the church should play in culture and in society, right? Of bringing people to Jesus, of seeing lives transformed in the power and the grace and love and mercy of Jesus. So our culture is a mess. But Roman culture was a mess too. Let's read about this mess here. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1. 
And I kind of continue where we left off last week, and I'm going to start in verse 18. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along in, in the book of Romans. If you have the church uh, app, like the Version Bible app, there's a little tab in there called events. You can go to that, and you can see the outline of, of today's message as well there. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read from 18 to 32. I'm going to read it. I'm going to make a few little comments here and there as I read it. But this just gives us a picture of the mess of culture. Okay? So it starts off right away, the wrath of God. Okay, first comment. Who loves talking about the wrath of God? Right? Again, these are one of these topics that we, again, as evangelicals, we kind of go, eh. There's this wrath thing here, this wrath of God, and we kind of build theology. We kind of build kind of blockers. Go, no, let's just talk about Jesus' love and his mercy and everyone's love and everyone's forgiven. It's just so amazing. And let's just kind of ignore this whole wrath part. (laughs) Okay? Your Bible's full of this language, and we have to figure that out (laughs) in love and grace and mercy. Right. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. So where's this wrath of God directed? It's how people are living. How people are living. It's wicked and godless. And it goes and it goes in, in verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul is telling the church that, yes, maybe not everyone will know about Jesus and know about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and Jesus paying for the sins of humanity. People might not know that until some people go (laughs) and tell them about it. But just creation itself speaks to a creator. That the complexity of all of the systems that are in place speak, cry out that this was created. A very, very famous biologist uh, in the 70s and 80s, uh, when he would teach his class, the very first lecture that he would tell his students is that you are going to see things that are going to make it look like there's a creator in this class. But don't go there. It's all random and it's all chance. That's how he would introduce his biology class. Because <laughs> the evidence looks and shows there's a creator. Just ignore the evidence. <laughs> ignore it. Right, And this is what God said, so, the, so that's why Paul says this. So we're without excuse. Creation puts to this. Maybe not about Jesus, but definitely about God. Continue, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking here that people are just kind of worshiping something else. We're worshiping people. Celebrities, kings. We're worshiping ourselves. We're creating images of like animals and reptiles and all of these spiritual kind of things and coming up with new ways to worship. 
And it continues in verse 24. So, so because humanity had moved away from the clear evidence that there's a creator, because of that, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather, rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so because of this, because God gave them over, right? Well, they gave, so God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Right? And furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so again, so there's all this kind of stuff going on sexually, and on top of that, furthermore, so God also gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Like I said, good news is <laughs> hard. They gossip. They slander. They're God haters. They're insolent. They're arrogant. They're boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Here's something for the kids. They disobey their parents. Okay? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve those who practice them. That's heavy text. That's a heavy, heavy text. When I prep my sermon calendar and my preaching calendar for the year and, I, and I'm going through it and I pray and I'm walking through my, my spreadsheet and I hit on these, there's a little part of me in my flesh goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to skip that page. <laughs> but we can't. We got to talk about the bad news. We got to talk about bad news. It's the only way we can understand God's good news. When we understand what humanity is really like. Again, if 65% of evangelicals believe that people are good, then why do people live like this? If people are good, why haven't we solved this problem in 2,000 years? Think about that. Human nature has not changed in 2,000 years. But we're good. I'm a good person. I should be able to change this. Right? Like, read again. Look again here in verse 29. To 31, 29. And this isn't even the sexual stuff that's in this passage. Just talking about people. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil. I'm not evil, I'm good. Greed. Okay, occasionally maybe I'm greedy. Depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They gossip. 
They slander. They hate God. They're insolent. They're arrogant. They're boastful. And we keep inventing ways of doing evil. You see, what happens is when we hear bad news like this, that this is actually what humanity is like. We, we, we put up blockers against that. We, we put up lies against that. Well, it's not true. I'm good. Okay, sure, I lie. But you see, but I have a reason for lying. You see, it's because if I tell the truth to my wife, that might like upset her and then we might have an argument. And, and I really don't feel like having a disagreement and an argument with my wife. It was a busy week, so I'd like to spend Saturday kind of relaxing and have a cup of coffee. So I'm just not, so I'm just going to lie. Well, and I'm not, well, I'm not deceitful. Okay, sure, it's tax season, and I'd really like to get an extra $1,000 from the government because they have a lot of money, and I'd like to get that extra $1,000. So if I kind of just fudge these numbers, well, it's because I need it. I mean, but, well, but that person over there, they're a liar, and they're a thief, but I have reasons why I'm not. You see, you and I in our regular, ordinary humanity make excuses for our sin while judging the other person for theirs. And this has been continuing for 2,000 years. It's bad news. And so because that is humanity's true nature, Paul uses the word depraved. That there's this depravity to humanity. I, I read this years and years ago, and I wish I could quote who wrote this, but it's one of my favorite quotes. And you, if you've, have, if you've ever had young children, if you've ever had a baby screaming in the middle of the night for food, you know this is true. That baby does not care about your feelings. <laughs> that baby is a monster who doesn't care how many hours of sleep you got does not care how busy your, your day was, that baby would kill you for food if it was capable of it. Okay? They're not sweet and innocent. They'll kill you for food. Okay? They, thank be to God they are incapable of it. Okay? We're depraved. Right? And because of that, this is what Paul says here, and this is a powerful thing when people go, yeah, but God made me this way. God made me this way, so I'm good. It's not my fault. It's God's fault, right? That's how we talk. That's how culture talks. Well, it's, yes, there is this sin nature in humanity now, but this is what it says. It doesn't say like God allows it and God makes that permissible because that's the way we are. It just says these words here, that God gave them, uh, sorry, God gave them over. And what this means is that this loving God says, I'm here. Creation points to me. You can know me personally. I want to walk with you in newness of life, but you have no interest. So live your life. It's almost like you ever hear that story of like a kid that wanted to like try smoking. Don't try this kids. And don't do this. I don't think this is a good parental advice either, but the story just makes me 
crack up. I got a twisted sense of humor. But this teenager was busted smoking. And so the parents bought a big carton of cigarettes. I don't, do cigarettes still come in cartons? I have no idea. Back in the 70s when I used to buy my dad's cigarettes, he would send me as an eight-year-old to go buy his cigarettes. Anyone else do that when you were a little kid? Yeah, exactly. Go to the store. Here's my note. Just walk out with a pack of smokes for your dad. <laughs> Smoke half of them on the way home. No, I didn't do that. Okay. Right? But that kid gets busted, and so the parents buy a pack of cigarettes and lock him in the closet till he smokes the whole thing. Choke on it. Till it makes you so sick. Then maybe you'll realize this isn't good for you. It's almost like this is this language of God gave them over. It's like, you know what? You want to live that way? Live that way. Yeah, go for it. And what happens is, as humanity, we choke on it. Because it's not the way God would want us to live. And then it even says in here, so God lets humanity go their own way. He allows people to continue to live a life that not is just in sin, but actually allows us to live a life where we are increasing in sin. That's part of this bad news. (laughs) And what we see in this text, and I'm going to continue, I'm going to read from Romans 2, because we've got to see this to completion of where this goes, is that because we deep down know, and this is what Paul talks about in this passage here, we deep down know that this is not the way we're supposed to live. So what do we do in response? Do we turn to God the creator? No. We create rules and regulations and traditions and religion to try to deal with this condition, right? This is what it says in Romans one twenty-five. It says, right, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And what's the lie? They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So in this bad news of the state of humanity, we deep down know it. We don't want to admit it. And so we create something else. And then we kind of, what we're going to read is we're going to see that this didn't help either. It's still bad news. And so the big idea that I want us to kind of unpack together as we continue reading is this, is that religion keeps us stuck in bad news. Religion keeps us stuck in bad news. Now, some of you, you might hear that. You go, wait a minute, Pastor Kevin, isn't Christianity a religion? And yeah, kind of, technically, if you want to pull out the dictionary and read a definition, we've got traditions and we've got rules and we've got guidelines and we have these things that are in place. And so you fall under this definition of religion. But let's kind of continue reading here. So that we can kind of see how the Christian faith is actually different. Okay, so let me continue reading. I'm going to jump into Romans chapter 2. And again, I'm going to read verses 1 to 16 here. So again, all this bad news, all this state, this is what humanity is actually like. And again, remember who he's writing this to. Right? He's writing this to the most advanced city on the planet. We talked about this last week. 
when it comes to government, when it comes to systems, when it comes to food, when it comes to warfare, when it comes to philosophy, all of these things, they are the most sophisticated, advanced city on planet Earth on this, at this time. And he tells them, yeah, this is what you're really like. And then it continues. Verse uh, chapter two, it says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you, not, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, They are the law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Christ, through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now, there's a lot there. I could spend probably the next seven weeks just unpacking this. And some of you go, every time I make that comment, you go, why is it always seven? Why is it not a four-week series that you could do on that path? Why is it always seven? I have no idea. It's always seven. Okay. There's a lot in here. But the first thing that you got to understand here is when Paul is talking about this you. Who's Paul talking to in this moment? Because he's making a direct comment here to you. And he's using kind of this writing style of trying to engage people in the conversation. It's kind of like when I ask you, how many of you have ever, and I get you to raise your hand, I'm trying to get you to engage with the text, <laughs> make it personal. Paul's doing the same thing here. Who is the you? Well, we don't know who the you is until you read verse 17, where it says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, he is talking to the Jewish people here. Okay, he's talking to his people. He's talking to the people who are following the laws of God, following the commandments of God, following the traditions of God. He's talking to people who've got a rich history, a rich, deep history 
of walking with God, of hearing with God, of the prophet speaking to the people, of raising up kings and seeing their kind of God's glory all over and throughout their history. But yet, in their religion, there's a problem. Is that it's actually not making them any different than anybody else on the planet. And so there's three problems that we can see from this text that I want us to see because they're challenging, I think, for us as modern-day Christians. Living in a messy culture, right? Our culture is messy. It's confusing. We don't always know how to answer. We don't always know how to respond to different things that are going on. Just like in Rome, it was messy. And the Christians then didn't know how to respond either. So there's three problems that Paul is addressing to religious people. The first is this. In religion, we still do the same thing. Religion doesn't solve the problem. right? It says in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Those are, for me, some of the most powerful words. And they are, they are an incredible reminder of how the Christian faith might be quite different than the Christian religion. In our Christian religion, do we condemn people for living life in a way that we still live? Do we accuse people of sexual sin when we ourselves struggle with sexual sin? Do we accuse people of being dishonest when we ourselves are dishonest? Right? There's a big difference between the Christian faith and the Christian religion. You see, in religion... We keep doing the same thing, and we pass judgment. Right? When, when Paul talks about passing judgment, right, those who judge inappropriately, what happens is, is we assume a role that belongs to God. Right? And this theme will come back again, so hang on to this one. We're going to come back to this probably in a month and a half when we get into Romans chapter 14. Because we see a lot of tension in the Roman church where the Gentile Christians begin to pass judgment on the Jewish Christians on what they eat. See, we're funny as Christians where someone will say something and we don't like it and we'll pounce on them and we'll disagree and we'll call them names and we'll do all of these things in sin and anger as we pass judgment on one another. And we'll condemn one person, one church, one leader, and then go home and do the exact same thing. Lord, have mercy on us sinners. In religion, we get stuck in doing the same thing as the world in religion the other problem that we see in here in religion religion makes us stubborn and unrepentant this is what paul talks about in verse uh, five 
He says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Right? Because he just talked about this in verse 4 of chapter 2. He goes, kind of this human condition of like, what should this do when we realize who we are? Well, this is supposed to lead us to repentance. Right? This is the difference between the Christian faith and the Christian religion is this bad news of what humanity is like. It's not supposed to be a guilt trip. It's not supposed to be me just telling you how, how awesome I am and how terrible you are. It's not supposed to be this thing. I'm this holy person who's got my life all sorted out. And boy, oh boy, if you could just be a little bit more like me, God might love you a little bit. Not as much as me. Now, when I say me, you know I'm not being me. Like I'm kind of trying to get you to connect with what Paul's saying here. Right? But it's exactly like what Jesus talked about to these religious people. When they, the religious leader would pray in this parable of Jesus, Father, thank you for not making me like these sinners. See, when we know who we really are, it's not supposed to be a guilt trip. It's not supposed to make you feel terrible. Well, maybe it is a little bit. But it's to bring you to repentance. And what does repentance mean? Repentance means I'm going in this direction and I'm going to turn it around and go in this direction instead. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not good. I like to pretend I'm good. I like everyone around me to think I'm good. But I know the thoughts that are in here. I know the secret behaviors that no one else knows when I'm behind closed doors by myself. I know all of these things, God, and God, I know you know what these things are. But yet you'll love me anyways. And you forgive me anyways. You see, when we get trapped in the Christian religion, just like the Jewish people were trapped in their Jewish religion, it didn't change them. It didn't make them any different than anybody else. And it made them stubborn and unrepentant. And what that means is, you know what? This whole Jesus loves you and Jesus dying for you and, and accepts everybody. I don't like the fact that Jesus accepts everybody. Not me. I love that. But these people don't love it. It's like, no, he's, it's just for us who obeyed the rules, who kept the traditions. And maybe sometimes in the Christian religion, we go, yeah, I don't really want Jesus to come to that person either. I don't want them to come to my church because it'll get messy and it'll get complicated and it might change me a little bit and I don't feel like it. I like my church in the box that I've put it in. We become stubborn and unrepentant. And then the final thing that we see from this text in Romans chapter 2, the problems with religion, why religion keeps us stuck in bad news is, again, is that religion can't save us. It says in verse 13, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now this is funny, because you, there, there were a lot of verses in this Romans chapter 2 that talk about obeying the law to be declared righteous. And this is where religion comes from. Well, I need to obey the law for God to love me. And it's like, and I pull that from my Bible because it says this. It just said it right there in Romans chapter 2, verse 13. I need to obey and then I'll be made righteous. 
This is why you have to study Romans chapter 2 in context. You have to study Romans chapter 2, but, but before you can study Romans chapter 2, you've got to study Romans chapter 1. And before the bad news can become good news of Romans chapter 2, you've got to then study Romans chapter 3. <laughs> you've got to study them in context, because this is, what, this is kind of the theme of what happens here in this section. Because we're reading these verses, and Paul said it numerous times in this section, how you behave is how you become righteous. And so we create religion to change behavior. But here's the thing. So Romans, and we see that Romans uh, uh, verse uh, 6, chapter 2, verse 6, verse 11, verse 13, all say perform. But here's the problem. is because of sin. You can't perform enough. And you're not going to know that until you come back next week when we look at Romans chapter 3. Because in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 19, what we're going to look at is that sin prevents both the Jew and the Gentile from doing anything good. And so therefore, and we're going to see this next week, that's why in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, no one can be saved by doing good In Romans 3, verse 20, we'll see this more next week, where it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the work of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, our theology changes how we live. How we live is evidence of how God is working in us. And so we got to see this in this big picture. That religion keeps us stuck in bad news. And my biggest desire, not even as a pastor, but just as a guy who's walking with Jesus, who, 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 who sees the world and the messiness of it and the brokenness of it and the lostness of it and the things that we are following blindly all over the place to solve the human condition. We just think if we could just get government right and get systems right and get policies right and get all of these things right, then we're going to solve humanity's problem. I jokingly said that if we haven't solved it by now, we never will. We never will. So maybe we need a different solution. And maybe the solution is to actually come to repentance. That, you know what, I have a problem that I actually don't love God and I don't love his ways and I don't love my neighbor and I don't love people who are different than me. I don't love people who come into my life and create discomfort and challenges and stress. You see, that's humanity's condition. And I don't want anyone to tell me how to live. I want to just live my own way. I want to live independent, you know, of anyone's thoughts. And that's why I think culture is such a mess right now, because your independence is clashing up against someone else's independence. And our law system is set up that there has to be a winner and a loser. We can't all win. (laughs) So your personal freedom bangs against, smacks against my personal freedom. And we hate one another in that tension. (sighs) It's a mess. And that's why my biggest heart for me, for us, for the Church of Ottawa, 
the church <laughs> in the world is that we take a step out of the Christian religion. We take a step into the Christian faith. That the rules, the regulations, the traditions, there's some beautiful stuff in the Christian religion. There really is. But it's not going to save you from the condition that you're in. If you find yourself stuck, that there's certain sins in your life, and you're stuck in them, and not only do you, are you stuck in them, but that you actually enjoy them and make excuses for them. You might be leaning more into this Christian religion instead of Christian faith. And I want you to be free of that because God wants you to be free of that. You know, maybe you believe in this grace of God to forgive those sins and, and you say you've received the grace of God, but you don't show the grace of God. You don't show the grace of God when you go to work. You don't show the grace of God when you go to school. You don't even show the grace of God to other Christians who might believe a little bit differently than you and may not be where you are or believe exactly like you believe. And there's a lot of stuff in this book that we disagree on as brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you're unable to even show grace, the grace you've received, you might be stuck more in the Christian religion than in the Christian faith. Right? And if you've ever kind of found yourself feeling really good about how you perform. I even just did it this morning when I saw the Libby cookies in the cafe and I walked away. <laughs> Look how awesome I am to stick to the plan that I feel God has put me on. And look how righteous I am that I could walk away from that temptation. <laughs> Go have a little bit of cookie after the service. They're amazing. Eat one on my behalf, please. <laughs> and whenever you find yourself boasting in how well you are doing, you might, you might be stuck in the Christian religion more than the Christian faith. You see, there's a lot of bad news <laughs> There's a lot of bad news in how humanity is living. There's a lot of bad news in these religions that we create to try to change our heart. But the good news is that only Jesus can change your heart. It is only through repentance that the human heart can be transformed. It's only by recognizing who we really are that we truly are exactly like what Romans 1 calls us, <laughs> depraved. <laughs> There's nothing good about us. But because we're created in the image and likeness of God, it looks good. But a lot of times the motives behind those good things we do is because we want to receive praise from people. and We want a tax break when we do, when we give to charity and all of these things that we do. Guess what? Not good. <laughs> Deep down, we're not good. But there is a God who is so good that he doesn't expect you to perform. He doesn't expect you to perform so that maybe you could receive his love. His love is freely given to everybody. It doesn't matter your background. 
doesn't matter the family that you come from, doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter what your education is, doesn't matter what language you speak. The love of God has come for all of humanity to save us from ourselves, to save us from this wrath of God that's going to come, and we're going to hear more about it in this series, that God has to punish sin. But God wants to change our heart. And that's done because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so next week, we're going to explain that good news even more. But even today, just with this little taste of this, if you've been stuck in sin, if you've been kind of not able to show grace, if, if you've been trying, you know, just so pleased with how well you perform, maybe you've been stuck in the religion and you've never truly come in repentance to Jesus. And so I just want to give an opportunity for you to respond if that's you today. Maybe just with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I just want us to take a moment with God. And I'm just going to ask a few questions. And I would just ask if this is you this morning, just raise your hand. No one is looking. No one is going to see you. This is just a moment between you and God. Because I I want us to take time to repent. And I just want to say, I want to ask this, are you stuck in a sin? If there's a sin in your life that you've just been stuck in and you just haven't been able to find a way out, just raise your hand. Again, no one's looking. This is just between you, me, and God. No one sees us. Thank you so much for raising your hand. See, the power of Christ in us is he wants you to be free of that. And we're going to learn more and more about that in this series. But God wants to change that in your life. Trust that good news even today. Have you ever struggled in showing grace to people? If that's you, raise your hand. Have you ever shown anger towards people? Have you ever been angry at someone who does exactly what you do? (laughs) Raise your hand. Thank you so much for doing that. You see, we don't want to be stuck in a faith where we pass judgment on people for doing the exact same things that we do. The grace that is freely received, we want to be ambassadors to pass it along to others. And have you been trying to save yourself? But if I could just perform a little bit more, if I could just behave a little bit better, then maybe God will love me. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you for doing that this morning. And today I want you to be free that God loves you. God loves you. And he wants to work in you. And God wants to change your heart, change your mind. And he's going to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. As we repent, as we surrender, as we step out of the Christian religion, And we step more and more into the Christian faith. Because religion is just bad news. It just keeps humanity stuck. And so, Father God, for all of us today who've asked for these prayers, who've raised our hands, for those online who've raised their hands as well, God, I pray that today we would see your presence work in a new way. That you would begin to set the captives free, beginning with me, beginning with us. And that you would do immeasurably more that we could ask or imagine, knowing truly who we are, recognizing what you have done, and trusting in where you will bring us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.